We decided to see what would happen when we asked a psychic detective to help solve a missing persons case. Posing as the distraught brother of a missing child, we sent our producer, Charlie McElravey, to meet with Lori McQuarrie. Hi, how are you? Very nice to meet you, Lori. We showed her a photo of this missing girl, and she agreed to take the case for 400 bucks. But I think it's solvable. But what Lori didn't know was that the photo our producer gave her was actually a childhood photo of me. And obviously, I'm very much alive. I don't believe she's alive. McQuarrie's sixth sense told her the girl was brutally murdered and sexually assaulted. I think she was hit in the head with a rock. But her visions didn't end there. I think she can be brought home. Pointing to a remote spot on this map, she even said she could help bring her body home. Maybe even a mile or two from there. The next day, McQuarrie sat down for an interview with me to talk about the work of psychic detectives. I just had a gentleman in yesterday. 30 years ago, his sister disappeared. She soon began talking about a recent case, but clearly her psychic abilities didn't tell her that I was the girl in the picture. One of the first things I do in a case, Lisa, is I always make sure people know that if I feel the person is living or not. And so you'll always know yes. when you talk to a family member, when you start a case, you'll know if this person is dead yes. or alive. And that's the point. Is that Every I, time. Yes. But apparently her psychic abilities didn't see this coming. Lori, I'm going to show you something. Okay. Okay? Yes. Does this girl look familiar to yes, you? Yes, she does. I work this case. This is a girl who you said was beaten and killed. Okay. This little girl is me, and you told somebody that she's dead. Wait a minute. You didn't disappear? I'm right here. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? How do you explain being completely wrong? I can't wrong? explain it. I can't explain it. You're charging them hundreds of dollars. Okay. You know what, dear? Hundreds of dollars. Done. You're taking advantage of okay. desperate people with a bunch of hocus pocus, okay. aren't you? No, I'm not. I think we'll go. Thank you. It's been an interesting experience. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a name. Yeah, I wonder if a psychic would have predicted that this show wouldn't make it to 30 episodes. What a fraudulent profession that is. I mean, it's one thing to bullshit people and give them false hope. But it's next level evil to take money from them for it. I mean, you know you're full of shit. Why do that to people? I'm no psychic, that's for sure. I was dead wrong about the Olympics. They're still going strong. Look like they're going to finish. As of right now, as I record this, China, USA, Japan, Great Britain, and Australia are leading the medal count. And Canada is having a great Olympics too. Four gold medals. So I'm happy for them. Hey, Inane is now on Google Podcasts. I, I didn't even put it up there. I don't remember doing that. I have no idea how they picked the show's feed up. It just showed up there when a friend Googled the show. I'll take it. Thanks, Evil Empire. I've linked it under the subscribe tab on the website, inane.philnagash.com, just in case you guys want to use Google Podcasts. So now we're available directly from the website 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I've been invited to join Amazon Podcasts, but they've got some sticky stipulations in their contract that I'm not comfortable with. And the sponsorship deal with Amazon Prime Music hasn't been made official. So I'm holding out on that. A lot of red tape. Hey, this just in. Bryson DeChambeau is still an idiot. If you don't know who that is, he's a PGA Tour winner who hits these monster drives and has a big stupid mouth. He's in a war of words with another golfer on the tour, Brooks Kepka. He comes off as this very immature kid. He's got a really ugly game, but he gets results from it. But when news came out last month that he had contracted COVID and wouldn't make the trip to Tokyo for the Olympics, I started wondering how he had contracted the virus. I was under the impression that the PGA had mandated that everyone get the vaccine to protect other players and caddies and stuff. I guess they didn't. Because I just read this morning that not only has he not taken the vaccine, he's saying he's glad he didn't. He said he doesn't want to take it away from people who actually need it. Like this dumb dumb just doesn't get it. You don't get vaccinated just for you. You get vaccinated to protect everybody else. Imagine who else may have contracted it from him. Sure, you can still get COVID if you're vaccinated, but you're far more protected than you are without it. If this guy had any fans left, he may have just lost them. I can't comprehend this level of stupidity and selfishness. It's ridiculous. And since when is it not okay for a man in power to indulge in a little grab ass? You know, touch a woman's butt, her stomach, roll your finger down the back of her neck, leave flirtatious voicemails, stuff like that. Oh yeah, that's right. It's never been okay. Governor Cuomo's a fucking pig. I kind of liked the guy. He's this tough Italian from New York, breaking his brother's balls on CNN during the lockdown last year. It was the kind of entertainment that I needed while I was at the lowest point of my life. But when the truth started coming out about this creep, I felt like I needed to wash my mouth out with a bar of my homemade soap. Clark had soap for men, by the way. (laughs) I went against my better judgment with this guy because I didn't like him for the longest time. I let my guard down. He dated Sandra Lee from the Food Network for a long time. For any of you who never listened to my life as a foodie, Sandra Lee was second only to Paula Dean when it came to who I made fun of most on the program. Food Network host and a bad one. She was sexy, big rack, easy to look at, but pretentious as hell. She would share these recipes that were made up mostly of canned items and things you find in the frozen section of the supermarket. I even cooked one of her meals on the show once. I called it the shit show. I I caved in on everything that I hated. I made her meal. I drank Budweiser, ordered McDonald's. All that shit. But making her meal was the most painful thing. 
I even recorded Katrina's reaction when I served it to her. She took one bite, threw her fork down on the plate, and said, I can't eat this. But it wasn't her food that got me the most. It was how she intimidated people. Bourdain wrote in his book, Medium Raw, that he was at a function in New York once, and he felt this hand roll down his back. He turned around, and there she was, right alongside Cuomo. And she gave him this really hard glance. Now, he'd been outspoken about her in the past, and now she's there with the most powerful man in New York, and he did everything he could not to drop a load in his underpants. But he had to eat shit that night, make nice, while she said a few semi-intimidating things to him. But that's who these people are. They're people in power who know they can do whatever they like to people whenever they like. And there's little to no accountability. So it takes one person to be brave enough to take that first step and come out against this dude for the rest to be able to follow suit. Now, people always say, well, why now? Why did it take so long for people to speak up? It's because it takes a real set of cojones grandes to speak up. Because if things go wrong for you, you're cooked. And one crack in the dam is all it takes for that crack to get bigger and bigger until the dam breaks. And the dam is breaking on Cuomo. Look, I didn't like it when I heard the stories about Trump doing it. I didn't like it when I heard the stories about Biden doing it. And I don't like this one either. And okay, all right, you're old school. You've always kissed people on the cheek. You've always said things like honey or sweetheart or darling. That's fine if you're not a person in power. You got to remember, it makes women uncomfortable when you do that shit. You're not their friend. You don't have a personal relationship with these women. You're their boss. And that's when it becomes harassment. As listen, I'm that guy. I kiss women on the cheek. I'd rather greet you with a hug than shake your hand, man or woman. I use words like honey as a term of endearment, but I don't do it to people I don't know or who I've met for the first time, and I've never done it to anybody that I've worked with. Only when I lost Katrina did that rule get broken, and it was them hugging me, right? I wasn't going into it. It was like, you know, it was the other way around. But this is the governor's office in a very important state, New York. And if the president suggests that you step down, it's, it's not looking good for you. You don't go on TV and refute the allegations. You shut the hell up. And if you're smart, you step down. But this arrogant motherfucker, he's not stepping down. So he's going to get impeached instead. And you watch how fast this happens. They'll take one vote in the Senate in the state Senate, if the majority says he's guilty, he's immediately out and a lieutenant governor is put in his place until it goes to trial. He'll never see the light of day. Save some face. Say you're sorry, step down. And man, have you noticed the uptick in reports of unruly passengers on planes? Jesus, over 3,000 incidents since the year started. I know everyone's been on edge for a few years. But when it takes to the skies, that's a problem. Because it's not like when someone starts some shit at the mall or in a restaurant. You can simply walk away from that crap 
if it gets too heated. On a plane, you're stuck. And you're thousands of feet in the air, going 400 miles an hour. Not to mention, there are federal regulations preventing you from disobeying any orders that the captain of the plane issues. So if he says buckle up, you buckle up. If he says stay in your seat, you stay in your seat. If you have a problem with that and refuse to comply, it's not like a misdemeanor seatbelt ticket at your local courthouse. It's a federal offense. So now we've got these knuckleheads who refuse to comply with the rules on a plane, like refusing to wear a mask. And in a lot of cases, these people are a few drinks too many into their day. And it's mayhem in the sky. And who's left to take these people on? The two airline attendants who are in charge of managing the cabin. I don't want to sound sexist or anything here, but it doesn't sound fair or feasible to me to leave two women or a woman and one man to fight off some angry son of a bitch on a plane who only gets more irate as the situation escalates. Like the one I saw from yesterday. Luckily, one of the attendants was this buff dude who managed to handle this drunken idiot and they ended up duct taping him to a seat, which was kind of cruel. And then the airline suspended him for doing it. Seriously. It's like you've got a drunk dude on a plane who's ready to fight. What the hell are you supposed to do? I hate to say this, but let's remember this is happening in federal airspace. If it's a federal crime to break the rules on an airplane, we need an independent federal employee to manage this shit. And I'm talking like a bouncer or security guard or something. Someone who's equipped with mace or a stun gun, handcuffs, something that if threatened with would put someone back in their seat and force them to shut their pie hole unless they want to have their eyes burned out or sent into something that, you know, feels like the electric chair. I know that sounds drastic and I'm sure I'm not the first person to think of this. But it's getting pretty bad. I'm seeing a story like this every week now. And now that everyone's getting vaccinated, well, not everybody, (laughs) should take that back. People are gearing up to travel more, you know? It's only going to get worse. Like I said, it's one thing to encounter an angry dum-dum out in public. You can simply turn around and walk away, ignore that person. But it's got to be frightening when that shit happens on an airplane. And as a passenger, you're helpless. You know, sure, you want to deck this douchebag right in the face. Shut him up. But you do that, and you're facing charges for assault. Even if you were just protecting everybody else, it's assault, and it's serious. Something to think about. This dude, though, man, he was going off. I think airports should start enforcing a one-drink maximum at these bars and restaurants. And stop serving booze on planes. Because belligerent drunks are the worst kind of drunks. Be a hugger, not a fighter. Unless you're Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Scarlett Johansson's now, she's suing Disney for streaming Black Widow. It's the movie that she stars in, just opened. It's recently released. So it premiered as a lot of movies are, on uh, Disney Plus Premiere Access, as well as in theaters. And because the deal that she signed was based on box office ticket sales 
with additional revenue from Disney Plus. It's not like she's not getting paid. They said she's received like $20 million already. She and her agent seem to have made a horrible mistake. Like Times have changed. Every actor should know this by now. If given the choice, people are going to watch a movie at home instead of theaters. Like Almost everybody's got a, a decent HD television now. High-speed internet access. Maybe a nice sound system or a sound bar with Dolby Atmos. The theater experience is dying. It's like she made a Netflix movie, Marriage Story, for a set price, right? Because there was no box office tally. At the very least, a limited release in theaters so it could qualify for the Oscars. But this is the sign of the times. Streaming rules. So just name your price for acting in a movie. Don't take back-end deals. The industry's changing. Anyone who didn't see this coming three years ago is a fool. But she's saying it goes deeper than this. Like Marvel promised her that this would be a theater-only release. They didn't tell her they were going to offer the movie on Disney Plus day and date. But they made that decision without telling her. Day and date, if you don't know, is a term for a simultaneous release. So say a movie hits theaters this Friday, but also on a streaming service or for in-home rental. It's day and date. But her main issue was ticket sales. She's saying that her negotiating power when signing a contract to do a movie is based on her ticket sales. They don't take into account how many times a movie was streamed or downloaded from a service. So if the movie only grosses $100 million in theaters, but Disney ends up making twice that amount from its streaming service, she's only being given credit for the box office, even if she receives the revenue from the number of streaming purchases that that are made. And I know what you might be thinking. Boo-hoo, actors only getting $20 Why should I feel bad? It's because companies like Disney are sneaky. They're in the business to make money. They don't give a shit who they piss off in the process. But I'll say it again. Demand a bigger salary. Don't take this back-end bullshit. That puts the pressure on the distributor to do their job generate interest. And you know, I could really give a rat's ass about these Marvel movies. I've yet to see one of them. I think I saw the first Iron Man. I couldn't tell you a damn thing about it. It bored the shit out of me. I'm just not into that crap. But compare her story to Dwayne Johnson, who starred in uh, The Jungle Cruise. He's in the very same situation. Day and date release on Disney+. Plus. The movie opened to $100 million box office, and then Disney made an additional $30 million from Disney+. And he signed the same kind of contract, took the same back-end money. Is he complaining? Hell no. He said it was a dream to do that movie, because he's always loved the Jungle Cruise ride at Disneyland. This man just loves being able to make a living making movies. He's appreciative of every opportunity that he's given. He's not worried about box office success as long as he just continues to get work. And the big story coming out of the NHL last week, and the NHL really, it doesn't make the news anymore. So leave it to a betting scandal to get it back in uh, national headlines. Evander Kane plays for the San Jose Sharks. 
he's being investigated by the league for not only betting on NHL games, but his own team. It's like a modern-day Pete Rose scandal, except that Pete bet on games he managed, not games he played in. But I guess his own wife ratted him out on social media. And the news reports were calling him, uh, calling her his wife, not his ex-wife. And when I read this, I thought, what kind of wife is she? I mean, what happened? Did he forget your anniversary or something? Turns out they're in the process of divorcing. Things aren't going too well. I'll get to that in a second. Let's start with her social media posts. Here's what she tweeted. How does the NHL let a compulsive gambling addict still play when he's obviously throwing games to win money? Hmm, maybe someone needs to address this. Then, in another post, can someone ask Commissioner Gary Bettman how they let a player gamble on his own games? Bet and win with bookies on his own games? (laughs) Ouch! Shit! Damn, woman! You want to talk about a woman scorned? So the league, you know, they jump into action. They start an investigation. And of course, you know, Kane is he's adamantly denying everything. He said, I have never gambled on or bet on hockey, never gambled or bet on a Sharks game, never gambled or bet on any of my games, and never thrown a hockey game. The facts are, I personally had my best season of my career last year and was the most consistent I've been throughout any season. I'm proud of that. I love the game of hockey. I would never do any of what was alleged. I look forward to cooperating fully with the league's investigation, having my name cleared, and looking forward to this upcoming season. But it gets even more interesting. In another post, his wife accused him of spending tons of money partying in Europe, then asked her to sell her wedding ring in order to survive, and wrote about not being able to afford baby formula for their kid. So that's when Cain comes out and he says, uh, you know, they're in the process of getting a divorce, called his wife mentally unwell. I mean, he's going into full defense mode here, trying to explain the situation. It's like, you know, divorce sucks a bag of dicks, especially when you're famous, because people have no problem airing dirty laundry out in full view. What else he write? He wrote, uh, I love my daughter. I will and always have taken care of my daughter in every way possible. I've always made sure her mother has had everything she's needed and more. I have tried to de-escalate our divorce issues and be as civil and calm as anyone in this position could. I've tried to set up FaceTime calls, but not every day as I would like to because of being restricted by her mom. She has refused me to see her and had unfortunately tried to use my daughter as leverage. I will continue to always take care of my family. That goes without question. I'll say this. It doesn't look good for this dude. Because here are some facts. In January, he filed for Chapter 7, bankruptcy. He listed debts of $26.8 million, assets of 10.2. And according to the filing, he lost $1.5 million gambling in the 12 months prior. And then in a March filing, he said he was in counseling for his gambling issue. But on top of all that, there was a Vegas casino that sued him a couple years ago. They said he failed to repay a a $500,000 gambling debt that he racked up during a a playoff series against the Vegas Golden Knights. 
Oh, poor NHL. Look, among the five major sports here in the U.S., it ranks fourth. Only beats out soccer. And soccer is only getting more fans. I know they say bad press is better than no press at all. But this is some seriously bad press. I mean, this dude, he's in a world of trouble. And even if they find him not guilty of gambling, people are only going to remember the headline. Like, look what happened to cycling's popularity after the whole Lance thing. Now nobody trusts the sport. Juicing and baseball, that's another one. I don't remember more people talking about Major League Baseball than they did that summer that McGuire and Sosa battled, you know, each other for uh, to break Roger Maris's record, home run record, only to be outdone by Barry Bonds a couple years later. But it turns out they were all juicing. Sosa was even using a cork bat. Remember a couple years later, he swung at a pitch, broke his bat in half. They went to pick it up. They saw it had cork in it. It lets the air out of the balloon for fans. Something like this? Who knows? Like When only 4% of sports fans in the U.S. that they poll about their favorite sport choose hockey, yeah, your sport's on, it's, it's on life support. If they find out this is true, I mean, this dude's finished. The team will void his contract. The league will suspend him, probably ban him for life. He'll lose everything. Who even knows if his wife will get anything in that divorce when it's all said and done? It sounds like this guy just spends every penny that he earns. What a mess. But I'll tell you, this is why I don't like gambling as a whole. Like, I can I can have a bit of an addictive personality sometimes, but I try to stay away from being addicted to things that are bad for me. I'd rather be addicted to healthy things rather than things that would you know, damage my health or my pocketbook. Yikes. Yeah, watch the... Uh, father again the other day the movie the father anthony hopkins i wanted to see if that movie gave clues earlier than i thought it did initially but it really got me thinking about caregiving and what an amazing burden it can be for people especially when the person that you're taking care of becomes difficult if you've ever been in that position you know what i'm talking about if you have unconditional love for someone You'll do whatever it takes to make sure that person's taken care of. And I don't mean to sound like the person that you're taking care of as a a burden, but it's a giant responsibility, much like taking care of a child. If you've ever been through parenthood, taking care of an elderly person could come relatively easily. You know, it's just harder because you know that eventually you're going to lose them. So there's this mix of responsibility to keep that person going, but also you know, having to keep your emotions in check because you know that sooner or later they're no longer going to be with you. Like Katrina's mom was a real handful. We had the hardest time finding help for her when Kat's career became more demanding and she had less and less time to continue to do all that she was doing and she did a lot. So we'd find someone to help out and then her mother would just insult them until they quit. And then we interviewed this one woman right in front of her and she said shit like, I don't want a Mexican in my house. It's like, oh, I was flabbergasted. I was apologizing for her, but it didn't help. This woman just got up and walked out. And there was only so much I could do to help. It's like I tried to take on more and more to give Kat a break, but there were things that only she could do for her. 
And also, she never really liked my help, her mother. There was no love lost between us. She never liked me for Katrina, thought she could have done better. Also, she just wanted more of Katrina's time. And I think she saw me as a person who was taking that time from her. Not fair to Kat, man. It never was. And over time, I became more combative with her because she'd have no problem saying really nasty things to me. But she called me a fraud once, said I was inadequate. (laughs) You don't say shit like that to me and expect me to keep my mouth shut. I don't care who you are and what ramifications wait for me, but you're going to get it from me. You start that shit. So in the father, I saw a lot of those same things. He was just mean to his daughter. Talked about how much more he liked his other daughter. So, you know, he'd long forgotten that this other daughter died in an accident. And of course, his daughter never reminds him that she passed away. She knew it hurt him. Because she truly loved her father. And she did all that she could for him. And he really didn't seem to love her the same way. Yet she continued to care for him until she, you know, no longer could. So this was art imitating life because I saw a situation like this almost verbatim firsthand. I lived it. But now when it's your spouse, forget about it. That's a whole new level, at least for me. Like I, I, I was praying for Katrina's cancer to leave her and jump to me instead so she could no longer have to deal with it and make it my fight. And then the same for my second wife. It's hard, man. Life is fucking hard. But these situations show one thing, how much unconditional love that you can have for somebody. That's one gift that you get from it. You get to see just how much love you're capable of giving. So one thing I'm looking forward to this week is a Zoom call on Friday night with my brother and a couple of his friends from the Times. I haven't seen or talked to these guys in over 30 years. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because I loved hanging out with these dudes. I wanted friends like this when I got to their point. And I did the best I could to surround myself with wise guys. If you've never hung out with sports writers, you're in stitches almost the entire time. They're too smart, too witty, too fast on the draw with jokes and anecdotes. You don't get into a battle of wits with guys like this. And you're bringing a knife to a gunfight. One of the guys has a son who was playing in the minor leagues, got drafted by the Cleveland Indians. And he was in the minor league system and they called him up a couple months ago to play for the team. He's, he's a great pitcher. He's got really good stuff. And they're bringing him up carefully. So my brother and I watched a game that he started earlier this week. I got to tell you, man, I know what pride feels like, but I can't imagine the pride that Dave must be feeling for his son to see him pitching in the majors. That's a new level. And don't expect me to share much of what we discussed because you know it's private stuff, but it's certainly going to kick my creative engine into high gear. I can tell you that. Okay, I think I'm going to say goodbye for now. Thanks again for listening and for your support of the show. Enjoy your weekend, and if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, if you're a new uh, listener, use the subscribe tab on the website, inane.filmagash.com, 
and I'll see you all next week. Cheers. Thank <laughs> you.